we'll move over into Colossians and uh, back to chapter 3 as we uh, continue looking at these various items of clothing as Christians that we're to put on. Colossians chapter 3 and uh, verse 13. It says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So we have here this seventh item of clothing, which is forgiving uh, one another. And you'll immediately notice that compared to the other items that we've been uh, thinking about, we have uh, greater detail given to us here concerning this particular item. The previous items were simply listed, but here we're told concerning this particular grace what situations this grace is needed. It says when there's a quarrel. And we're also told the reason why, as Christians, we should put this grace on. He says, even as Christ forgave you. Previously in verse 12, you remember, we were given general reasons as to why we should put on these garments and we considered them in our introduction to the series. We thought about the divine election, uh, divine separation and divine affection there with those words, uh, elect of God, holy and beloved. But here the Apostle gives us specific reasons for this specific grace. And uh, we do this sometimes, don't we, when it comes to wearing items of clothing. I might say to the children, for example, can you put your coat on? It's cold outside. There's a reason why you need to do this. Or you know, maybe you get a boat ride and they give you a buoyancy aid and they say this is for emergency use. And so... There are occasions, aren't there, where we're we're told to do something and when we're given the reason why we need to do it. And that's what Paul does for us here. He gives this extra bit of information to inform us and to encourage us to wear this particular grace in our lives. And so this evening I want us to think about this forgiveness, this forgiving one another. And I want us to look at a number of uh, aspects or parts to this uh, this grace. And the first thing I want us to just think about is the character of forgiveness. What is this, this grace that Paul is bringing to our attention here? What is the nature of it? What does forgiveness mean? Well, in the New Testament, there are a couple of different words used for forgiveness, um, different ones that are translated with this English word. Just for example, if you go back to chapter 1 of Colossians and you go to verse 14. Just as an example, it says there, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And the word that's used there is a different word from what we have in chapter 3. The word that's in verse 14 there is often translated as remission. You can give a, think of a very familiar example. Remember Christ's words at the Last Supper, when he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins or for the forgiveness of sins. And this particular word in verse 14 conveys the sense of pardon or setting free. It's releasing someone from an obligation. But the word here in chapter 3 and verse 13, it's a lovely word that has at the very, uh, within it, the word grace. The Greek word for grace is the the basis for this word that we have here for forgiveness. 
And we know, don't we, that grace is God's free, undeserved favour. Grace is never earned. Grace is never bought. Grace is freely given. And that's what the word means here. So the word can be translated in different ways in the New Testament, and it can mean to give something freely. Or it can mean to forgive someone freely. And uh, it's translated in these different ways. Just for example, if you go to Romans 8, 32, that very well-known verse there. Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. And it's exactly the same word there, that word, those, that phrase there, freely give, is the same word that we have translated as forgiveness here. So it can mean to give, and it's how Christ uses it in Luke chapter 7. You remember the parable there that Jesus tells, Luke chapter 7. Now, this is the occasion when the woman who was a sinner, comes to the Lord Jesus Christ with the alabaster box of ointment in verse 36 and 37. And she anoints, doesn't she, Jesus' feet. And then he tells a a parable in verses 41 and 42 about a, a creditor who has two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And in verse 42 it says, And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Again, it's exactly the same word. And this particular phrase here reminds us and shows us too that it's about cancelling debts. This forgiveness, it was freely done by this master. The two men were debtors, but they were forgiven and the debt was cancelled. And this is the word that Paul uses back here in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, it's this kind of forgiveness that... Paul is talking about that we are to put on. It is to be a free forgiveness. It's to be a generous forgiveness. It's to be a a gracious forgiveness. We're to, as it were, wipe the slate clean with those who are our debtors. And when we think of uh, forgiving debtors, of course, this should immediately remind us of the prayer that Christ taught his disciples to pray. Remember what he, he says in that petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so here we have the the character of this forgiveness. It's a gracious forgiveness, a free forgiveness. It's shown to those who are undeserving. But the second aspect that we could uh, consider this evening is the individuality of forgiveness. And what I uh, mean by this is that this grace is to be exercised by individuals. And to explain this, I think it's helpful just to consider the very opposite of forgiveness. And the opposite of forgiveness is vengeance. Vengeance is inflicting a punishment or seeking retribution. When someone does something hurtful to us and they wrong us and they perhaps injure us, we're not to be vengeful. We're not to, to as it were, get our own back and to seek to execute justice. We're not to take the law, as it were, into our own hands and dish out the punishment that we feel fits the crime. And of course this is important, isn't it? Remember the words of Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. 
how Paul says there that about the Lord, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And one of the reasons, of course, that we're to be forgiving is because we know that God is the judge of all mankind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we're not to, to seek retribution or inflict our own punishment. Uh, as private individuals, we, we're not to decide to you know, bring revenge based on the whims of our own will. That would be dangerous. Because we're not perfect, we're not just, we're not holy like the Lord. However, there are times when it is lawful to bring a matter to the courts of law. There is times when there needs to be punishment and retribution appropriately served. There still needs to be law and order within a nation. There still needs to be law and order even within a church. And, uh, of course, it's part of God's common grace that he's given us magistrates, he's given us courts, he's given us lawyers and so on. But we leave the justice and the vengeance to the courts and ultimately, of course, to God himself who alone is just and who alone is holy. But personally, individually, we should be forgiving. And there are examples, aren't there, of Christians who've been seriously wronged, seriously injured. Uh, I can think of... uh, I remember hearing a gentleman who had lost his son, whose son was murdered, and he very publicly in the newspapers said that he forgave the man who had committed his son's murder. But yet it was still right for that murderer to go to court and to face the punishment that was due for what he had done because he was guilty. It was right that he was dealt with appropriately by the courts. And so as we look at this grace here, this is a grace that is to be exercised individually. We are to be forgiving on an individual basis. But there are times when it is lawful for people to be brought before courts of justice. But we're still to be forgiving and to show that forgiveness in our hearts. It's to be an individual forgiveness, a personal forgiveness. But a third thing that we could perhaps notice about this forgiveness is the necessity for forgiveness. Why does Paul tell us that we need to forgive? Well, Paul says here um, in verse 13, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. And that word uh, quarrel there, you'll notice if you have a a margin Bible, it could be translated as complaint. Complaint or quarrel here suggests friction. Friction between two or more people, and it's friction on account of sin. The Apostle is speaking of wrong done to another person, whether that's in thought, whether that's in word, whether that's in deed. It's when someone provokes or injures another person. And Paul says, following such sin, forgiveness is needed. And so Paul highlights that uh, uh, the, the thing that's the, 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 necess- the, necess- the reason for the necessity of sin is because of sin in this world. If there was no sin, forgiveness would not be needed. And Paul is really reminding us here of something that we thought about last week, didn't we? You remember how we touched briefly on the fact that we live in a sinful and fallen world, that wickedness abounds, and we noticed with forbearance that this is necessary because we rub shoulders every day with other people and because we have to live in this decaying and and corrupt environment. 
But Paul here goes really a step further when he tells us to put on forgiveness because he's reminding us not only does sin abound in the world, but sin also abounds in our hearts. We need to forgive and we need to be forgiven because each one of us actually sins, don't we, against each other. It's not just that there's sin out there, but there's sin in here, in our hearts, and we sin against each other. And so sin, uh, because it's so common, because sin's so prevalent, even in our own lives, we need to be forgiving, forgiven, and forgiving each other. Even, even though as believers we have been forgiven all our sin, we, we still go on sinning, don't we? We still live in this body of death. The old man is still inside of us. While it's true that our life is hid with Christ in God, as he says in verse 3 there, while it's true that we are complete in Christ, as he says in chapter 2, there's still much of our lives that the Apostle tells us in verse 5 that we need to mortify. Much that needs killing, much that needs putting to death. We still have to put off the old man with his deeds, as he says in verse 9. And sadly... Inevitably, there are times when we will sin against others and others sin uh, against us. And so Paul says to us, because sin abounds, because there are quarrels and complaints, we must be forgiving and we must put on forgiveness. And of course, Paul knew this even personally, didn't he, in his own life. Just think of the sharp contention there was between himself and Barnabas over Uh, Mark, John Mark in Acts chapter 15. Paul was still a sinner who needed to be forgiven and also to forgive. And so he shows us here that forgiveness is necessary. But I think there's a fourth thing that we can draw out of that phrase there, if any man have a quarrel against any, and that's the scope of forgiveness. You just look at those words there, if any man have a quarrel against any. Any man, he says against any. He's very generic here. You compare that, for example, with verse 5, for example. He, there he gives a generic statement, mortify therefore your members. Very generic statement. But then he goes on to give a very specific list of the sins, the things they are to mortify. Likewise, in verse 8, uh, you notice that he prescribes to them very specific sins that they were to put off. But here in verse 13, Paul is not specific at all. He says, any man. He says, a quarrel or complaint. He says, against any. He doesn't prescribe the breadth of the quarrels or complaints. He doesn't make, as it were, a list of sins that deserve to be forgiven on one side and then a list of sins on the other side that, you know, that just fall outside of forgiveness boundaries. No, Paul is including all types of sin. Nor does Paul prescribe the depth of the sin. He doesn't say, well, you should forgive when the sin is light, when the sin is momentary, when it's a sort of a one-off sin or a small sin. But you know that you know, they're the big sins, the deep sins, the, the sins that really, you know, really hurt you and cut you, or the sins that go on for months and months and months. Well, you know, you can fit it, forget about forgiveness then. You can forget about forgiving someone on those occasions. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, any quarrel. And as well as not mentioning the the breadth and the depth of such sin that that leads to forgiveness, he doesn't state the height, as it were, of the sin. He doesn't say forgiveness is only for the lowest person. 
He doesn't say it's only for the, the poor. He doesn't say it's for the, only for the person in the pew, but the preacher or the elder or the deacon, whoever. You know, they don't need to think about this, this forgiveness. Now, again, Paul makes no distinction here. Friend or foe, rich or poor, elder, deacon, person in the pew, it doesn't matter who, all are to be forgiving. It's an umbrella term that Paul is using here. When it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness should be, in a sense, no respecter of persons. We're not to say, well, I'll forgive that person, but this person here, I, I, just, I cannot bring myself to forgive. And Paul also doesn't mention, as it were, the length of forgiveness. How long should one, someone forgive another person for? You know, what happens if somebody keeps repeating the same sin over and over and over again? Every day, year on year. Do I keep on forgiving? That, of course, was the question that Peter asked, wasn't it, in that passage that we just read from in uh, Matthew chapter 18. You remember how Peter came to the Lord there in verse 21. And he asks this very question, Lord, how oft shall my... He says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He says, till seven times... And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes, doesn't he? And he completely shatters his perceptions of of true forgiveness. Jesus saith unto him in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And Paul's expressing the same truth back here in Colossians. Forgiveness should be unlimited. Forgiveness should be to all kinds of injuries and people and for all kinds of sins. No matter how often the sin is repeated, no matter how hurtful or deep the sin is, we are to be forgiving. We should forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. We're to forgive even when we don't think the other person deserves to be forgiven. In other words, Paul shows to us here there is no scope, there is no boundary, there is no limit to this forgiveness. And friends, this is a challenge, isn't it, to us? Here is an area, as it were, where the wheels of long-suffering that we were thinking about a few weeks ago hit the road, hit the tarmac. How often do we forgive? Sometimes the thought goes through our mind, doesn't it? You know, when, when am I allowed to release the pressure valve of my anger? This person's provoked me, provoked me, provoked me. Lord, I've been forgiving, I've been, I've been kind, I've been long-suffering. Surely now I can release that valve. But Paul says here, doesn't he? No, any man, any quarrel, any time, forgiveness is needed. And this leads us on to a fifth thing this evening, and that is, what is the model of our forgiveness? What's the model of our forgiveness? Well, Paul says we have a great model to copy. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And the model is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the apostle says, look, he has forgiven you. And in this letter, Paul has already expressed something of the magnitude of the cost of Christ's forgiveness. Just look again at chapter 1 and verse uh, 13 and 14. He says, Who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. 
The forgiveness of God in Christ, it took the Saviour to the cross. It took him to shed his blood. And Paul emphasises this again in chapter 2. If you turn with me to 2 and verse 13 and 14. He says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And we see here the, something of the extent of Christ's forgiveness. It was all, he says there in verse 13, all trespasses. He took all our offences. Not one was left behind. He nailed all of them to the cross. Isn't that what we saw in the parable of the unforgiving servant? That's what we see, isn't it? He was forgiven 10,000 talents, we read in in Matthew 18, but he could never pay. He would have remained, wouldn't he, forever a debtor, but the Lord there forgave him all. The master could have demanded payment, he could have cast that man straight away into prison, he could have delivered him to the tormentors there and then, but he falls down before him and the Lord was moved with compassion. And friends, tonight, isn't that what God in Christ has done for you and for me? He could have justly demanded payment. He could have justly cast us into into hell, but we were forgiven. Do we ever stop to think about how how marvellous and how wonderful this is? To think that not one sin that we've ever committed or shall ever commit has not already been atoned for and forgiven by Christ. The forgiveness of Christ is so gracious. It's it's so, so complete. It's so free, isn't it? It's so undeserving. We, we, we have heinously rebelled against God. We've spurned his grace. We, we committed the most horrendous crimes. We of all people are the most unworthy to receive such forgiveness. And yet he has forgiven us. And we could also say it's a continuous forgiveness. The well of Christ's forgiveness never runs dry. There will never be a moment when the stores of his forgiveness will run empty. We can also say, couldn't we, that Christ's forgiveness is a prompt forgiveness. When we repent, we're forgiven. Straight away. We don't have to wait, as it were, for the check of God's forgiveness to clear. We're not sat there worrying whether it's going to bounce. Don't worry, do we, that we're going to still be in debt. Now, when we come and we repent of our sin, the slate is wiped clean, the debt is gone. But of course we also have to say, don't we, that the forgiveness of Christ, it was a costly forgiveness. It costs us nothing. But it cost our Saviour everything. It cost him his life, it cost him his blood. All were given at Calvary, weren't they, so that we could be forgiven. And Paul says here, look, study your model. He says this here, look, so also do ye. Consider Christ, he says, look at him. And then do, copy his example. What a model we have as Christians to follow, the model of Christ. And friends, tonight, does our forgiveness resemble Christ's forgiveness? Do we forgive graciously? Do we forgive promptly? Or do we like to hold back for a while? And we like to keep the person waiting, as it were, for our forgiveness. Do we forgive even though it may cost us our pride? Do we continually forgive? Think how often we offend the Saviour 
even every day. And yet he forgives. And he forgives. And he forgives. Well, Paul says to her here, Christ has forgiven us. So let's copy our heavenly master. There's one final thing that we can think about this evening. And that is the motive for forgiveness. Christ is our model, yes. But when we think about Christ as our model, it should also be our motive. That's the point, isn't it, of the parable we read of the unforgiving servants. He had been forgiven so much. He'd been forgiven a debt that he could never, ever have paid, not even if he had a, a thousand lives. And in response, his heart should have been so overwhelmed, shouldn't it, with that, that gracious forgiveness that was shown to him, that he should have gone out and just and been so gracious and so forgiving to, to everyone he met. He should have copied his lords. But he didn't, did he? Or you can think about the woman, you remember, who anointed Christ's feet that we read about just a moment ago, and she washed them with her tears. She loved Christ much, we're told, because she realised she had been forgiven much. And friends, we've been forgiven so, so very much, haven't we? I think that's one of the things you understand as you get older in the Christian faith, just how much you've been forgiven. When you first believe, you, you, you understand certain sins that, that perhaps you were convicted of and that drove you to Christ. But as you get older, you, you begin to realise just how, how enormous a sinner you are. And you begin to see, don't you, more and more how you offend a holy God. And in some sense, it's, 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 it's part of God's mercy that he doesn't reveal to us the extent of our sin when we come because we'd be just so overwhelmed and crushed. But that when we realise how much we've been forgiven, we should love much. And so Paul says to us here, now look at Christ. Here's our motive for forgiving one another. You've been forgiven much. Now go and love much and forgive much. And show this kind of forgiveness. And so we should say, Lord, help, help me to be Christ-like. Help me not to be judgmental. Help me not to want to be, take vengeance. Help me not to be someone who strains at a gnat to swallow a camel. Help me not to be someone who looks at the moat that's in my brother's eye and yet I forget the beam that's in my own eye. Lord, we should say, help me to copy Christ, knowing that Christ has forgiven me. Or may God help us to then put on this grace and to be forgiving even as Christ has forgiven us.